Now we're in this fun section of scripture here as we're talking about the, the Holy Spirit and the role of the Holy Spirit at work in the church and, and through the life of the believers. Paul's main emphasis through all this has been to talk about and to build the church up in unity so that unity will prevail in all that they do. And that was important because in this church, remember at Corinth that Paul is writing to, that was not always the case. They were kind of, you know, a church that was functioning in dysfunction. They were self-serving rather than serving one another. They had become a little bit too occupied with self than they have been occupied with Jesus. So Paul comes and he brings some correction and guidance in these areas. And the topic of gifts, as he's dealing with, was the big issue in the church here now that was causing them to not walk in unity with one another. They were looking at gifts in kind of a self-centered way, looking at how these gifts would really profit themselves and how it would really build themselves up, maybe make them look like, oh, one of the spiritual superstars in the church. If I can operate in this gift, that would be great. So Paul's having to bring some kind of clarity on the gifts and proper biblical teaching on the gifts so that they are functioning in a right biblical way that's ultimately to benefit and build up the church and to glorify Jesus. It's important for us, I think, too, that we remind ourselves what the purpose of the gifts are, why they're there, and how they operate in the church today. So let's pick it up in verse four. We, we covered this last week. We're really focusing on verses eight to 11 today, but let's pick it up in verse four to get a bit of a, a flow of what Paul's been saying here, here. He says in verse four of chapter 12, there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all, but the manifestation of the spirit is given to each one for what? What's it for, somebody? The prophet of all, there it is. So this is what Paul has been trying to remind the church of and get them focused on is that the gifts are not meant for you, the gifts are meant to be used through you for the profit of all. And Paul's point is to show the, the blessedness of diversity, right? Diversity does not need to exclude or limit unity. In fact, what Paul does is, is he goes through to, to show and reveal how it's the same spirit, the same Lord, the same God that's working in all these gifts. It's the same source. You're not in competition with one another. You're not competing with each other to try to outdo one another. It's the same source. It's not one team versus another team. It's the same team that's in operation here for the betterment of the church, right? That's the, the point. And in fact, what Paul does in bringing up the Trinity, the Godhead, same spirit, same Lord, Jesus, and the same God, is he uses the Trinity ultimately that, that begins to paint a real wonderful picture or illustration of diversity bringing unity. Because they're all God. It's one Godhead, but yet revealed in three eternally existent persons, all with a different function in the Trinity. God the Father, you see, he sends the Son into the world to be a propitiation for our sins, to, to bring about salvation. The Son comes into the world, surrenders himself to the will of the Father, yields himself even to the death of a cross, that sins might be forgiven, that people might be brought into a right standing with the Father, 
The Father and the Son send the Holy Spirit into the world to lead people into truth and to testify of Jesus. Guess what? All functioning with differing roles, but with the same purpose. Unity in diversity. It's seen in the Trinity and is to be seen in the church today. Each person in the church at Corinth, each person here at Riverside does not all need to be doing the same thing or possessing the same gift for us to be unified. There are differing functions. The Spirit gives gifts to each one and diversity of gifts for what? End of verse seven, the profit of all, to build up one another. So this is where Paul is driving these things. So let's remember, gifts are not for the individual, they're given to the individual for the edification of the church. And here's how that operates. Look at what we see in verse eight. We read here, for one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same spirit. So word of wisdom is the first gift. We're gonna see a list of nine gifts that are given here in 1 Corinthians 12 from verse eight to 10. Nine gifts, this is the first one, word of, of wisdom. Now this is the ability to have an understanding of the wisdom of God for a particular situation. It's been said that it's God's solution to a seemingly impossible problem. Solomon, you could say, I mean, here's a man that, uh, you know, prayed for wisdom. God said, Solomon, what would you like? Ask anything, I'll give it to you. I mean, Solomon could have asked for wealth. He could have asked for uh, greater fame. He could have asked for a bigger family. Well, actually, he had, a, he had enough wives. He didn't need that. He could have asked for anything. But what does he say? He says, I pray for, for wisdom that I might shepherd your people wisely. And God gives it to him. So Solomon walks around with wisdom. Now, we all know people, don't we, that just seem to have uh, uh, this ability of just being wise. We all know people, don't we, that are, are just wise, right? Nobody's going, no, I'm still waiting on that. I'm waiting to hear some wisdom each Sunday when I come to church, but it's not happening yet. That's fine. I get it. I understand. But we all, I think, could say, if we think hard enough, that we know something just, well, but this gift of wisdom is different than just somebody having wisdom. Solomon had wisdom, but there were times where Solomon had to have that exercise of a gift of wisdom for a particular problem that seemed like, what am I going to do in that situation? There was a, such a, a, a cause when there were two women who were arguing over who was the rightful mom to a, a specific child. The one woman went and took that baby in the night. Uh, her baby died, she took the other person's baby, and now they both claim, this is my baby. So they came to Solomon, and they say, Solomon, <clears throat> this is my baby. No, no, this is my baby. And they're fighting over one another, and Solomon's stuck now in the middle going, how am I going to decide over this? I mean, this is a difficult thing. How would you decide over, it's, it's one person's word over the other. How do you come to a right conclusion when you don't know the whole situation? Well, Solomon, I believe, is just given this gift of wisdom, and he says, here's the solution. Saw the baby in half. I mean, that's gotta be a gift of wisdom because nobody's coming up with that on their own, right? I don't think anybody's going, you know what, let's just saw the baby in half. Everybody leaves the winner. You all got something of the baby to go home with. No, you just go, that's crazy. And yet what happened, the one woman goes, <clears throat> sounds good to me, let's do it. Saw that baby in half, I'm good with that. The other woman says, no, I don't want anything to happen to that child. Let no harm or hurt come upon the child. That other woman may go ahead and take that child for their own. Solomon right away knew who the right mom was because no mom is gonna let anything happen to the child. See, there was great wisdom that was exercised to bring about a solution to what seemed like an impossible problem. 
Solomon exercised that. We saw it again in in Acts chapter six when there was a complaint made against the Hebrews by the Hellenists over the neglect of their widows. So the apostles who are sitting there going, well, we can't take this on ourselves. We've got too much to do right now and we can't be tending to these specific needs. So they selected seven men full of the spirit that would begin to tend to the needs around them. And in selecting the men, selecting the people that would serve as deacons, many of them were Hellenists. They were a part of the group that brought the complaint. So right away now, this group is cared for. They're, they're shown grace. And it's this wisdom of God being exercised by which now suddenly that complaint is just kind of nullified. They're, they're cared for, and they're cared for by kind of their, their own group where they were feeling kind of the push and left out. Now they be cared for. So great wisdom being exercised. So this is a gift that has a great value in ministering to one another. Again, the, the purpose of the gifts. To, it's not to walk around and go, man, I'm... I don't think you'll ever meet somebody more wise than I am. I've got just such wisdom flowing. It's just oozing out of me, man. Nobody walks around just, you know, saying, oh, I've got this gift just for myself. It's to minister to another. See, when someone's going through a problem where they need help in deciding what to do, we can pray that God gives a member of the body of Christ a gift of wisdom to bring some kind of guidance of how to navigate through that particular problem or situation. Now, let me just also say here, uh, regarding the gifts, and I, I believe this, I think, in, in part with uh, a lot of the gifts, that, that these aren't gifts that we just possess or, or lay claim to, like, I am the owner of this gift, or I, anybody needing help in a certain, you know, particular area of wisdom, just come to me, because I'm the person with the gift of wisdom here. I, I, I don't believe that these are gifts that we just exercise that will or, or lay claim to in a sense of a, a possessive way. In fact, we'll see in, in verse 11 that the Holy Spirit gives individually as he wills. It's not as we will, it's as he wills. And I want to be a person that operates in, in all the giftings and, and, and in a particular gifting for that particular time and moment where it's, it's needed. I believe that as we give our lives to the Lord and the Holy Spirit is dwelling in us, that yes, he, he gifts us, no doubt, he uses us in, in, in certain ways, but I don't want to be limited to, to just one gift. I want to be able to function and operate in these things. Look at what D. Pryor says in his commentary regarding this. The tense of the verb is given, that term is given, didotai, indicates that this is not, a nece- not necessarily a gift which is given for permanent possession and for regular manifestation by one particular Christian. It could mean that but it's far more likely meaning is to focus on God meeting the need of a particular situation by equipping one member of the body with this gift. The next time you might well use somebody else in a similar way. This is of pastoral importance because there's often a strong tendency to speak in a rather possessive and clinging way of my gift, whereas scripture teaches us here as elsewhere that they are God's gifts to the body for the purpose of establishing Jesus as Lord, strengthening the body, I don't, I don't want to be in a situation where somebody's needing help and I'm just going, yeah, it's too bad. That's just not my gift. Sorry, I can't help you. It's just not my gift. I want to be able to be led of the Lord and, and allowing the Spirit to move in my life in a, in a particular way for a particular need. So 
We do see that he's gonna use one person this way, another person that way at times, because again, Paul's point is that we don't all have to be doing the same thing. We all operate in different ways. So to one, he says, is given the word of wisdom, but to another, the word of knowledge. One person might be used this way, another person might be used in a completely different way, but it's all for the same purpose of edifying the church and, and glorifying the Lord, building up one another. So the word of knowledge now we see, a word of knowledge is receiving insight into a particular situation that you would have uh, otherwise no understanding of, no business knowing. It's a supernaturally uh, imparted knowledge to you about a particular situation that you would just not know of. In Acts chapter five, we, we saw that kind of being lived out when Ananias and Sapphira, Sapphira at the beginning of the church, as people are selling their possessions and giving to the church to support one another, they went and sold the possession but it says that they kept some of it back for themselves. But then they come to the apostles and presented it, so we sold our possession and now we're giving all of the proceeds to you. Here it is, look at how wonderful we are. And they were lying. Now Peter, in Acts 5, has no idea what's going on. He doesn't have you know, spies tracking people in the church to go, let me see if they're really doing what they're saying they're doing. He's not doing that. But supernaturally now, Peter goes, and I, why would you lie? against the Lord, against the Holy Spirit. You, you weren't asked to give everything from the proceeds, but you're claiming to do it. Why are you lying against the Spirit? See, that was a word of knowledge that Peter had. They did no, no under, he would have had no other understanding of that situation apart from the Holy Spirit gifting him and imparting that knowledge to him. And then we know the story that Ananias has dropped dead because of the, the seriousness of the onset of the church. It's not the, the purpose of the gifts is to you know, smote one another, don't go there with this. But the idea is that Peter's given this knowledge of that. See, a word of wisdom and a word of knowledge can seem very similar. We look at, at wisdom and knowledge oftentimes very synonymously, don't we? Wisdom, knowledge, I'll take either one, I just need something, right? And, and so, but the idea of, of a word of knowledge and a gift of uh, wisdom really kind of work together and complement one another because we can be knowledgeable about something, but yet not have wisdom to know now, what do we do with that knowledge? Got knowledge about something, but now what's the next step? I got the idea, but I don't know what to do with that now. But wisdom comes in now, and it's the application of that knowledge. We have an understanding of what's going on in a particular problem, but wisdom comes along now and says, here's what you need to do now with this situation. Here's how you're gonna, again, navigate through that. It's been fittingly said that knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit, whereas wisdom is knowing not to put it in fruit salad, right? That's a, a way you could explain the differences there. <clears throat> so wisdom is the application of that knowledge. Look at verse nine, continuing on for, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same spirit. So faith, now everyone has an element of faith, right? We've all experienced saving faith. We're saved by grace through faith, but this is not what this is talking about. We all have that element of faith, but this is a different kind of faith. This is a faith that causes you to believe God, to trust God beyond all circumstances. It's a special faith, again, given for a particular moment to trust God and to move forward into action with what God's gonna do beyond what you can see in the natural realm. 
Peter demonstrated that when he got out of the boat, right? And began to walk on water. He, he, this is a faith that he believed he could do it, but it was a faith that moved him into action to say, I'm gonna get out and walk on the water. I mean, that's amazing, right? He, this is not just a, a faith that Peter goes, I believe that can happen. I believe something. In fact, why don't one of you guys try that out? Go walk on the water. He doesn't do that. He's not just saying, I believe this could happen. He's saying, I believe so much so that I'm gonna get out and walk on water. Now he began to sink as he began to look at the, the, the waves crashing around him and he got a little concerned and, and Peter gets kind of you know, slammed on doing that. But man, I give Peter a thumbs up. He's the only guy that got out of the boat and walked on water and experienced that. He moved in faith. The others didn't even get out of the boat. So let's not knock Peter for what he did here. So that was an element of, uh, uh, of faith that moved him beyond just normal circumstances. George Mueller, another great example of a man of faith. George Mueller, uh, known as, you know, just kind of this, this uh, uh, apostle or uh, missionary of faith, he <clears throat> cared for many kids uh, in orphans, thousands of kids in the 19th century, not all at once, but throughout his <laughs> existence. He, he cared for kids in his home and in this orphanage that he, he operated, and he was the guy that didn't have a lot. This wasn't something he did because he was so prosperous. This is something he did just because he, he, he cared for, for people. And he's a man, he, he didn't go and solicit funds. He wasn't going around from church to church saying, hey, I'm, I'm operating an orphanage, man. We really have a lot of needs. Could you give? He didn't do that. In, in fact, people tried to give him money and he, he wouldn't accept it. He wanted just to trust the Lord to provide. I'd be like, there's the Lord's provision right there. The guy's handing you 100 bucks, take it, right? But he was like, man, I'm just gonna trust the Lord. So much so that reading his autobiography, George Mueller would, would sit down at the table at times for dinner. Call the kids to dinner. The kids are coming to dinner. They're like, I don't smell any food. The oven's not on. There's the table's pretty bare. There was no food. But he would gather them together for dinner. And he would sit and pray and thank the Lord for the meal that they were going to enjoy. And there'd be no food, and yet suddenly there'd be like a knock on the door. There'd be food left there. Or else somebody would be traveling through town with a, a milk cart. The milk cart would break down right in front of the, the orphanage and be like, man, I got all this milk. It's going to spoil it. Anything you can do it. George Mill was like, yep, I can put that to use. I mean, he just saw the Lord providing in miraculous, wonderful ways. And this is a man that operated this gift of faith, trusting God beyond what he saw in front of him. Then we see the gifts of healings. This is the Holy Spirit providing uh, healing from sickness or disease or injury to a person. It, it's, it's where a, a person has been made whole. And we see numerous cases throughout the word of God of, of people being healed. Acts chapter three, verse six to seven. Then Peter said, silver and gold, I do not have, but I, what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So we see a healing where a person immediately, this is not a progressive healing. There's not a prayer for somebody and then saying, you know, why don't you go back home and just begin to kind of exercise that a little bit, maybe call up a physical therapist and see how it goes. They're not progressive. You know, this is immediate. That's the gift of healing where suddenly a person is made whole from an otherwise previous condition, sickness, or, or ailment. Now, the question is, can God do this today? 
Yeah, I believe so. In fact, we're called to do this. James 5, verse 14 and 15, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. And this area of faith and healing again really works hand in hand. In fact, in in Acts chapter three, the verse we read previously, when Peter begins to explain that, he talks about how it was faith that caused this man to, to rise up moving in that, that gift of faith, but then seeing a healing taking place. So they oftentimes work hand in hand, but we're called when we're sick to, to call upon the, the prayer of the elders and, 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 and believe the Lord for a healing and to be made well. Sometimes it's a gift of healing that someone operates in and praying for another for them to be healed. Sometimes it's a, a gift of healing operating the person for uh, healing for themselves to, to make them well. But I believe the Lord certainly still performs healing and uses his human agents to carry that out today. Now notice something. This is the one time where we kind of see, not the one time, but in this case, it's gifts of healings. It's, it's plural. It's a plural term here. There are, are multiple healing gifts, not just a single one. Not everyone with this gift will heal every kind of ailment. It's not one gift that kind of fits all, but it's, it's gifts of healings that's gonna minister to the body of Christ in bringing provision, strength, and, and healing in, in time of need. Now, let me give a little disclaimer here, all right? Because again, as we kind of mentioned earlier, I don't believe that somebody walks around with the gift of healing. It, it doesn't say any gifts gifts of healer, that this is again a possessive kind of gift that somebody walks around. And, and we've all seen, again, kind of the, the abuse of that, right? Where you've seen churches advertising, hey, we're having a healing meeting this Saturday, coming out to the healing meeting. Or we've got a, 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 an evangelist or a, an apostle coming through town who's a healer and we're gonna have a great healing crusade, you know? And we've seen these things advertised. I don't think these are things that we schedule. I think these are things that the Holy Spirit leads in and gifts for particular situations and at, and at specific times. But it's not something we walk around in and say, hey, I'm a healer, I'm gonna do this. In fact, if, if you think you know God's gifted you to be a, a healer and, and you got a gift of healing, why are you sitting in a church where everybody's, well, get to the hospitals, man. Start raising people out of the beds, right? Start emptying the hospitals if you got the gift of healing. Yet we don't see that. We see these charlatans that that come through town and they hold big crusades, oftentimes pre-screening people. And I've seen sadly oftentimes moving all the real sick in wheelchairs and on beds into back rooms where they're not gonna be seen on video, you know, and kind of ruin the whole atmosphere. I've seen such an abuse of these things. Oh, but it doesn't, again, cause us to kind of throw the, the baby with the bathwater and to say, well, let's not ever expect this or believe that. I believe that God desires to heal people. I know that one day, guess what? We are all gonna be healed, completely delivered from this body uh, of, of corruption and, and mortality where we're gonna be made whole, we're gonna be made new. I'm looking forward to that. Amen. But I believe that God still desires to heal, but yet it's as he wills. And we trust him in that. There's nothing in the Bible to say otherwise that this no longer happens. If you show me, please show me. Otherwise, I'm gonna hold on and, and believe that God will heal, but it's gonna be according to, 
to his will. Verse 10 goes on to say, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. Again, look at the emphasis Paul's saying. To one it's this, to another it's this. And yet to another person he'll use this way. Again, Paul's whole point in this is that the church does not have to be competing over what they think are the, the best gifts, the most spiritual gifts, the gifts that's gonna elevate them and make them look very spiritual in front of everybody else to promote self. It's all to promote Jesus and to strengthen the church so we all have differing roles. To one it's this, to another it's that. So we look at miracles next. The, the fifth gift mentioned in this list of nine. This is where God works according to laws that are higher than the laws of nature. Now we've seen many examples of that in the Word of God. The parting of the Red Sea, that was pretty significant, right? Water being turned to wine, raising the dead, or uh, feeding of the 5,000 where just that small amount of food was able to spread out to where everybody ate, and they ate to where they were satisfied. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? And that's just a gift that goes beyond the the realm of the laws of, of nature. And these things were continuing on after Jesus ascended to heaven and and continued on beyond just the apostles. Acts chapter eight, verse six. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. So here's Philip now on the scene and, and miracles were flowing. Now again, do miracles happen today? Well, I had two of my sons get married last year, so yeah, I'd say that qualifies miracles. That counts, I think. But then, but then we ask, how come we don't see miracles happening as much as maybe we did in Bible times? You know, and again, we can think that Bible times, you know, healings, miracles are just happening in a bunch. Like everywhere you walked, you just saw things happening. That wasn't always the case. In fact, not everybody in the Bible was healed. Jesus healed many, but Jesus didn't heal everybody. He went to the pools of Bethesda where the sick and the invalid would come, oftentimes thinking that the stirring of the water, the first person that goes down will, will get healed. Well, Jesus met with one man there. He didn't empty the pools of Bethesda. The person that we read of in Acts 3 that was there, the temple was there every day. Jesus would have passed by him. The apostles would have passed by him. But that one particular day, he was healed. Not everybody was healed. And, and nor do, you know, the, the miracles just happen every you know, single moment of the day. But yet, why don't we see them at, in a sense almost like, why do we see them happening in, in even uh, fewer or lesser volume today? It causes us to kind of wonder what's, what's happening. Well, again, the working of the Spirit is to testify of Jesus, to lead people in truth. The gifts are given to build up the church to edify the church. Whereas I think this gift of miracles would easily, in the state that we live, I think, cause people to begin to focus on the one doing the miracle. Going, wow, did you see what this person did? Man, I wanna take that person out for lunch. I wanna get to know this person a little bit more. I wanna hang out with that person. I think it would tend to kind of elevate people more so. Is, is miracles still in operation today? Absolutely. Is it not seen as much in our time because of human tendency to exalt the one performing it? I, I, I think that is a fair conclusion. 
But again, because we don't see a volume of these gifts around us, like healing and miracles, like maybe we did before, it doesn't mean that we need to dismiss or cancel them altogether. In fact, often places around the world where people are living with a greater dependency and reliance upon the Lord to meet their needs and to work in their lives where they're, they're having to trust the Lord or, or be open to just kind of the super, they see these things oftentimes more. There's a, a greater awareness of the supernatural and their need for God to perform. Whereas in North America, I think, man, we've just kind of been, you know, rocked to sleep to a degree where we just had things very comfortable where we haven't needed to live with that kind of dependency and urgency upon the Lord to provide and to meet the needs and to do these things. We feel like oftentimes I can get up and I can just kind of function. I can manage the day. I can, I can do what needs to get done. And we kind of have that self-confidence to a degree. So again, I think in North America, we've, we've lost something by not having that deeper dependency upon the Lord, whereas other places in the world, I think they've been open more so to things like healings and miracles because of their need for that, their need for the Lord. So it doesn't mean that these things aren't happening. We may not see it as much, as much as what we saw in the Bible or as much as what other places around the world see, but I believe that happens. I believe as the days are getting closer to the Lord's return, now we're gonna see an increase in these things. In fact, we know in the, in the tribulation period, two witnesses are gonna show up and they're gonna be doing miracles, man. I think we're gonna see an increase in those things. And let's be open to these things rather than dismissive of it, rather than saying, well, I just don't think we see these things anymore. I don't really wanna be expecting that. I would rather be living in a life saying, man, I'd rather be expecting these things, living with an openness to these things rather than a dismissiveness of the moving and the working and the giftings of the Spirit. Number six here in our list of gifts, we see prophecy mentioned next. Now prophecy is the speaking out of God's word, declaring the purposes of God. In Old Testament times, it was the prophet who would show up on the scene and would come oftentimes kind of foretelling uh, something that God would be doing. He'd be revealing the purposes of God and the very word of God. Now that can certainly happen in that way today, but oftentimes uh, uh, a gifting of prophecies exercise just through a foretelling of God's word. You see, we have the complete word of God here, and oftentimes it's giving forth just uh, a, a word of God, being led supernaturally in something that maybe we weren't understanding or even aware of before, and we share the word of God in a, in a prophetic way that just kind of ministers to people. Uh, Brian Bell said, true prophecy is not to satisfy our own curiosity about the future, but to stir up our hearts to do the will of God. And this is where we see God's will laid out for us here. Now remember, prophecy is always gonna be in agreement with God's word. Now we live in a day where we've seen, you know, a certain, you know, charismatic movements really on the, on the rise. And we've seen this, uh, this fascination with the prophetic, right? Where, where people have been like, oh man, I'm looking forward to coming and just hearing a, a fresh word from the Lord, a, a new word from the Lord. I wanna see prophecy just unfolding and, and people again are being you know, trained in, in uh, prophecy and how to prophesy those kinds of things. And, and I just think, um, man, people have been led astray because they, sh you know, they come and, and they come going, man, I got my open a journal and my open notebook and I'm just ready for a new word from the Lord. 
And oftentimes it's not been in line with God's word, but they've received it as though this is on par with the canon of scripture, and it's not. It'll never contradict God's word. We have all that we need here in God's word, and we gotta be careful that we're not depending upon other things apart from what we already have. Because there's been a lot of falsehood that's been spread in those kinds of environments because people just think, oh, this has gotta be of God. This is where the next gift is so important. Look what we see next, we see discerning of spirits. See, the enemy can masquerade himself as an angel of light as we're told in scripture. We need this gift to be aware of what is really of God and what isn't. 1 John 4, 1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. We need this gift to be in operation to show what's unbiblical doctrine and what teaching is false that does not line up with the word of God today. Be able to discern these things. And then we have number eight, different kinds of tongues. Now we're gonna really get into this in chapter 14. All right, I know you're all looking forward to that chapter. Um, and so we're gonna unpack the gift of tongues because this again seemed to be the one thing that Paul was really having to kind of contend with, the, the thing that the church was really uh, sort of uh, maybe abusing or, or misusing again for themselves because in all the references Paul made to gifts in chapters 12 to 14, he always lists tongues in there. This is something that Paul emphasized because of the need and the context of what he's dealing with here in the church. Again, this is not being written. It's not a whole chapter being written to say, church, y'all gotta start speaking in tongues. A whole chapter is being written because Paul was dealing with that in the church at Corinth. And it was not good. And he needed to bring some parameters for it. But regarding tongues, we're gonna talk a lot about in chapter 14. But regarding tongues, I will say, tongues is the Greek word glossa, which means language. It's the language. We oftentimes refer to it when we say, oh, I, I, I speak in my mother tongue, meaning my, my you know, native language, right? And so this is what that term tongues means. It's not uh, an unknown tongue. It's a known tongue. It's a known language, but it's unknown to the speaker. This is why it's a gift that the Spirit imparts to them. We saw that exercised on the day of Pentecost, and that was instrumental because on that day of Pentecost in Acts chapter two, it was the birth of the church. The Spirit is being poured out upon the church where this kind of new era is beginning, this, this age of the church. And the apostles, it says, as they're meeting in the upper room praying that, that what seemed like tongues of fire began to rest upon them, and they began speaking in other tongues. But remember what happens, day of Pentecost, it's a huge event, it's a, it's a feast day that they were, the, all, all you know, Jews were required to come to the city to, to celebrate. So you got people from all different areas coming from different places that spoke different languages, and suddenly they gathered on Jerusalem and they began to hear these apostles speaking their own languages. And remember, they're all like going, these are a bunch of Galileans. These guys can barely speak their own language well, let alone my language, right? They're going, what's going on? Suddenly they realize, man, this is a work of God. This is a move of God. And they hear them proclaiming the wonderful works of God. The apostles were proclaiming God's truth. And the people that are gathered there begin to hear that. And they begin to know, man, this is a move of God right now. It was instrumental. There was a purpose behind it. It wasn't individualized. It wasn't just for the speaker. Tongues are not just for yourself. Again, gifts are given for what? End of verse seven, the prophet of all to build the church. 
I think we've kind of really misapplied and misused oftentimes the gift of tongues, but the purpose of it was to proclaim the truth of God. And for people to see and hear, and they're, they're speaking something that they don't understand, but I'm hearing my native tongue, or again, as we'll see, it gets interpreted, and people begin to see what God is doing. And we've seen, I, I, I've heard great testimonies of this happening in, in certain situations where in a church meeting, someone will begin to speak in a tongue, uh, a known language again, all right, a known language, and somebody's visiting, and they hear that person speaking in their native tongue, and they, they'll come over and afterwards go, how, how, man, how long have you been speaking this language? And the person will be like, I don't speak that language. Well, I just heard you saying it perfectly. They said, that's just the Lord working in me. And that person heard the gospel being presented, the good news of, of the Lord, and, and seen them get saved. I mean, there's been wonderful accounts that that's how this gift is to be exercised within the body of Christ. That's the purpose of gifts is for the, the building up of the church. But listen, we're gonna get into that more in chapter 14. So we'll move on. But, but tongues is not an evidence of being Fill the spirit. Tongues is not for everybody. All right? He gives to each one as he wills. We've kind of put tongues up on sort of the, the upper echelon, like, oh man, everybody should speak in tongues. This is gonna really put you apart as a, a real super spiritual Christian now. And that's not the case. Not everybody speaks in tongues. It's not initial evidence. It's one of the gifts that's meant to build up the body of Christ. Okay. I said way more than I was supposed to. We'll continue that thought on in chapter 14. Interpretation of tongues, as I said, it's just the interpretation of tongues so that the whole church can be edified in that. Last verse, we're gonna look at verse 11. But one in the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he will. So again, these are not gifts that we choose. These are not gifts that need to be taught or trained in. And, and we've seen that with certain gifts, haven't we? Uh, gift of tongues, you, you, you've, you, maybe you've experienced that, maybe you've seen that where it's like, oh, all right, you need to be filled with the Spirit, you need to speak in tongues, just begin to repeat after me. And we kind of coax that out of people, we begin to train that, and that, that's not a gift. That's something that's taught. Gifts are not taught. It's not crafts that need to be honed. They are given. They're gifts. They're the grace of God given by the Holy Spirit as He wills, not as you will. You don't choose them. You don't work on these things. They're given as he wills, as gifts. Now, keep in mind too, this is not an exhaustive list of gifts because we see other lists given in scripture. We see a list given also in verse 28 and, and to 30 of 1 Corinthians 12. We see Romans 12 or 6 to 8 give another list. Romans 4, 11 gives gifted offices that are, are, are shown there. But you'll see that in each of these gifts, there's or lists of gifts, there's, there's different gifts mentioned. It's not an exhaustive or, or conclusive list of gifts given. In fact, I don't even believe that all these lists combined are an exhaustive list of gifts. 
I believe there are many more gifts that the Spirit desires to work in the church that are not listed in Scripture. Again, Paul lists those gifts because he's dealing with a specific context and a certain issue that he's trying to raise up and develop the larger point in a specific context. So when he's talking Romans, he's listing these gifts because that's what was important for the context. There. He's not trying to say these are all the gifts. Here in 1 Corinthians 12, he's not listing all the gifts. He's saying this is some things that we're seeing in the church here that we're going we're gonna to talk about. So it's developing a larger point in a specific context. So I believe there may very well be more spiritual gifts that are at work in the church that are not named specifically in the Bible. Could we have a gift of worship? Yeah, I think we can. I'm praying for that to be seen in the church here one day. Um, no, I'm just teasing, that was just for Justin, just to have some fun with him. Um, gifts of hospitality, perhaps. Yeah, I believe those things can, can operate. What's important? is that we are allowing the Holy Spirit to work in our lives and use us in the way that he's gifted us and the way that he wants to gift us for specific purposes and, and, and things that are gonna build the church. We don't have to try to fit into a certain gift we think would be nice. We just remain open to the Spirit leading us. But fulfill your role in the body of Christ by operating in the way that the Spirit is leading and directing you and gifting you. We're gonna talk about that next week here as we continue uh, and wrap up chapter 12. But again, are the gifts for today? Some will agree they are, some disagree that, that they are today. We talked about it last week. Some believe that the gifts uh, are, are no longer um, used in the church, or at least they'll say some of those miraculous gifts died out with the age of the apostles while other gifts are still in operation today. But nowhere do we see any kind of classification of the gifts between, you know, like miraculous gifts or, or administrative gifts or communicative gifts. There are gifts of each category, but they are not categorized in the Bible. If I look what Acts 2 Verse 33 and 39 says, Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear, for the promise is to you and your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. I believe the gifts are for today, but need to be used and followed in a biblical way. And when we are being used in them correctly, there won't be room for weirdness, abuse or chaos, rather they will glorify Jesus and strengthen the church. Again, I'd much rather say, Lord, I wanna be open to whatever you have. I don't wanna be restricting. I don't wanna be dismissive of these things. I wanna be flowing in the life and the power of the spirit that you have to gift the church and to use the church. You know, many of you know, I was just in Montreal this past week uh, speaking at a conference and it was uh, neat to be able to just kind of walk around the city and walk around the city. If you've been there, man, you see all these amazing church buildings. Beautiful architect, beautiful design, stained glass windows, and yet the sad thing is that many of them are sitting empty is that they've just gotten mechanical over time. They've gotten rigid, religious, and they fail to allow the spirit to move and to continue to breathe life into it. I don't wanna be like that. I wanna to continue to see life breathed in through the spirit, leading and directing and filling, equipping and gifting, not for me, but for the church to be strengthened, raised up, and to continue to keep us pointed to Jesus and led in all the truth. May we be open to these things. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you 
God, for your word that instructs us, that leads us in the truth, that gives us understanding in how these things are to be used and exercised. And I pray that we'd be a church that's abounding and flowing in the Holy Spirit, that this would not be something that we're scared of, worried about, because when we exercise these things in a biblical way, it's always gonna be helpful and beneficial. So I pray that we'd follow, Lord, what your word says, but that you will gift this church. Lord, you would, you would bring the giftings of the Spirit to be at play, at work, in operation here for the building up of the church. So we'll continue to be pointed to you and strengthened in you.